Hello, and welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast for Edgewood Church in Danville, Illinois. This week at Edgewood. So this morning we're going to do something, it, it, you call, call it bookend. We're going to, we started with communion here, and, and as you're thinking then about communion, a lot of what that is, is you're turning your attention back to Jesus and who he was and what he's done for us. And what is it that he's done for us? He came as God to become a man, something he was not. Last week, as we were finishing up, we were talking in 1 Corinthians about Paul giving that example of being a Jew to the Jew and being a Greek to the Greek, being a weak to the weak, that I might win you. Really, in so many ways, as we're starting off here, we're reminded that that's exactly what Jesus did. He became something that he was not in order to reach out to us. He came as God to become man, but he also became, you know, not just any man, but also then a servant. And so we're going to def- absolutely come back to that thought. But we're starting with that, and I want that to just stay in the back of your mind a little bit as we go through here, knowing that we're going to get back to that. But as we start here this morning, we're going to read, provided I can, if I'm going to get this to work. It's a brand new clicker. Now we jump. There we go. I don't know what was going on, but we're good now. Um, we're going to start here in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And, and the, a couple of these verses we actually were fin- wrapping up with last week. And then we're coming forward. So we're in chapter 9 and starting verse 19. It says this. This is Paul speaking. And he's speaking to the Corinthian believers. And he says this. For though I am free from all. I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became a Jew, in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. Sometimes we separate these verses right here from the next ones we're going to talk about. But you realize, like, this was a letter, and it was written in context. And I think the next verses that we're going to get into very much tie back to these ones. And so we're going to deal with that. So he's come forward, then he says this, I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessing. It could also be translated, that verse right there at the end, share with them in it. Both are possible translations. Um, and we'll touch more on that as we go forward into it. But that's the, that is his purpose in the midst of these about seven verses we're dealing with. And he says this, Do you not know Then in a race, all runners run, but only one receives the prize. So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. And we're going to deal with both sort of parts here, but even as we begin, like this idea is going forward, 
when he's saying, what's my purpose? And I run for this goal. And I, run, I think given the context, so much of it is the witnessing, the outreach that he has right before that. And so as we do start there, that idea of being a witness, witnessing, those terms, if you've been around Christianity out for any amount of time, you've probably heard them before. And I'm actually guessing that there's already some sort of picture starts coming to your mind. Maybe it's good, maybe it's bad, maybe it's just indifferent. Um, and now this is the part where I'm actually going to ask a question, and I, and I actually want you to respond. I know sometimes when the pastor asks a question, you say that's a rhetorical question I'm not supposed to answer. I actually want you to, because I, I think it's helpful for us. When I hear that word, I'm going to say, it's not necessarily the best picture that comes to my mind when I hear that word witnessing. Because for me, it's two men in white shirts and, and ties coming to my door. And it's a very negative connotation. What comes to your mind? Seriously, like, as you think of that witnessing or being a witness, what, what picture comes to your mind? Anyone? Yeah. I think I wonder if Tuesdays were assigned. When I was in college, I actually was in a church and they asked me to go door to door is what they called it. And we literally just went up and down the streets. I don't know. What comes to your mind, though? I, I really would like to know. Yeah. I get, I get both. I, I was thinking the same thing. Um, I can remember a few times we did the door to door. And just being so nervous, like knocking on people's doors and being like, you know, I'm from this place. And, but then there was always the question. If you were to die today, do you know where you would go? Um, you know, and just, mm -hmm. that's, that's the basis of the relationship with this person I've never met before is talking about their eternity. It's very abrupt. But I, I get the and, positive and, ones too. Oh, and well, what are the positive? I'm, I'm not trying to go negative positive. I just would like us as we, because everyone probably has some sort of picture already. Mm -hmm. What is a positive? Uh, a positive one I get is just those times where you've seen people being a testimony, like in a workplace, yeah, um, where they, you know, like I'm not just thinking myself, but there's been people I've known that their their example as a Christian was just so astounding that people wanted to know, so they were a witness, indeed, before <laughs> word. That's right. Yeah. So it was almost investment. Yeah. Go for it. What? Sure. Yeah. yeah. I know, uh, uh, probably slightly more positive in my mind, sometimes just sitting down over a cup of coffee and sharing with someone the truth. That is also a picture that comes to my mind when I talk about witnessing. It's not just all one or the other. But then, okay, so as we all have something of a picture with that. What was it that uh, it looked like for Paul? And, and I use this term, at Agility, trying to follow in line with the idea later on of running a race, or, but the agility to get in. And I use that term because as he talks about here, when he's talking about witnessing, outreaching, he uses a couple of things. He's, he, he says right off the bat, I, I am free from all of this, but yet I have chosen to be a servant to all, and that I might win more. And he says, to the Jews, I became as a Jew. Now, in the case of Paul, this actually probably would have been more, much more natural for him. He was a Jew. Um, before becoming a Christian, he was a member of the Sanhedrin. 
he was, which is a Jewish group, and actually a fairly high, prestigious um, ruling party. Um, he also then would have been following the, to the letter of the law. Like in any, in a sense, this is actually his natural background. But yet, he even said that I am free from that. And he, as he goes on, he says, to those under the law, I became as under the law, though not being myself under the law. And I think as he's talking with it, it's that idea of to become as an insider to them. But I wouldn't say to go so far as to being blindly, blind allegiance to it. And I think that's sending, because both when he comes to the other example he gives, he also puts a qualifier on it. He says, that I might win those under the law. Actually, and to do that, if he's going to do that, he needs to understand the Jews, needs to understand where they are coming from. He might need to understand the questions, the challenges that face that group. The second group he talks about, though, to those outside the law. I became as outside the law. And this uh, would have likely been referred to as Greek. This would have been an entirely different segment of the population. Um, if the Jews were under the law and that, that nature would have been very constricted, very, you know, this is what's right, this is what's wrong, and if you're not sure what's right and wrong, here is the Talmud, and it'll give you, uh, I think it's 697, but I could be wrong on the number, of rules. Like, it follows up. If you weren't sure how to interpret that, we'll even give you the letter of it. Greeks, it was almost the opposite of that. Everything is fair game. Um, particularly in Corinth, they had temples to some of the god gods or goddesses that involved sex outside of marriage, a whole realm of it. Like, it's just a whole level of just if anything, opposite to that. But he says, to those outside the law, I became as one outside the law. Not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ. Again, like that idea of him actually becoming an insider to them, I think because he puts that qualification in, not some blind allegiance to where they are, or that sort of thing, but actually seeking to be understood, understand them being seen even as an insider. That seems like a lot of work to me. When I, when I realize just how different those two, do, two groups are, and he's saying, this is what I'm willing to do. If anything, I'd say he's also saying, this is a pattern to follow. And he goes beyond that. He doesn't just talk about these two different cultures. He also talks about, then, to the weak, I became weak. That I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means... I might save some. There's not some group there within that that's excluded with that. My question to you is, what's that look like for us? Because this difference he draws out of Jews versus Greeks, it doesn't have necessarily a natural parallel for us. But I would say, if anything, my impression is that our society is becoming more and more fragmented. I don't think you have to look that hard to see that. That there's differences. Um, coming back here, it says, who are the groups around us? I think some of those divisions are divided by age. Um, and this brings up a lot of frustrations for both groups. I shouldn't even use the word both. It's multiple groups um, facing so at times, almost the same struggle, but facing it entirely differently. It's pretty easy if you are familiar with you know, the term millennial. 
Um, have you ever heard that millennials are killing golf? They choose not to golf, but there's, that means it's harder for golf courses to stay in at so that golf courses are dying. Have you ever heard that millennials are killing the retail sector? They're choosing to go to Amazon to purchase it. That vast oversimplification of it. But this, is re this would be a reality. You, I, I could go on. I'm sure, though, that as we're honestly seeking to evaluate, it's much more complex than that. Because like, if you just talk about the divides within our groups here, there's the silent generation. This generation would have been the ones who had grown up and born in the Great Depression. They would have been ones who, talking about Christmas, they legitimately may have had an orange or a full meal for Christmas. Um, they're known as the silent generation because they didn't protest as much, in part because there was no current world war or something like that for them to protest against. And, and that roughly between 1925 and 1945, again, these are gener uh, generalizations. It, then you have the baby boomer generation. This generation was mostly known because there were so many, it was such a boon after the world, Second World War. But it's interesting because these were the first ones to then grow up with true prosperity. If you're talking about that idea of having two cars in the garage and a chicken in the pot, this was the first generation in the Western world to truly know that. It was different from what was before, but it also began to set up the expectation coming after it. You look at the Generation X, and sometimes it's called baby bust because it was such a drop-off in population from the baby boomers. And Generation X ends up having a lot of the similarities to the baby boomers, perhaps, um, but one difference that you start having then is with the Generation X is one of the first ones is known as the great consumer. They spent every dollar they ever earned. Um, and so it's just interesting for what they're kind of known for. But there's other things. Like the highest level of education to date was achieved in this generation. Notice that there's more generations after that. Um, also understand like in this generation in 1976, the Arab oil debacle and the first gas shortage, which changed your pers this perspective on the world around you. For the first time, you'd have, ah, what in the world's going to happen when overnight gas goes from whatever price to whatever price? Coming after this, you have the exenials. And this one is often almost skipped over. In some lists, it's actually not included because it's a crossover before, between Generation X and the millennials. And so, but these are truly actually the oldest millennials, but they follow a lot of the uh, perspectives and thoughts of Generation X. You come to the Millennials, and this is between 1980 and 1994, um, and you start getting a lot of perspective. This actually starts to have a lot of change. But honestly, if you start looking at it, they're actually facing some of the same frustrations and challenges that Generation X did. It's during this generation that you first start to see the effects of the free trade agreements back under Bill Clinton and shipping out of millions of jobs. And it's been happening up to this point for about 20 years. But it's only the full effects are beginning to be faced. So as much as Generation X and the Xenials were also facing that struggle of finding work because some of these work jobs they depended on, but also the Generation X and Xenials were facing that same struggle of having to work longer. The Millennials then, if they can find a job, it's harder for them to find mobility within that job. And interesting enough, 
they're both facing that same exact situational challenge of just trying to get by. Generation X wants to retire, but they can't. The Xenial wants to, but they can't. But they're facing the same challenge. But then millennials, they end up having a, a different perspective. Oftentimes, you actually find millennials have a frustration towards feeling like they've been set up for failure. You have that struggle of young people that are facing housing prices that they cannot afford, given the fact that they can't find mobility in their jobs. But also, it's oversimplification to just think anyone younger than me is a millennial, too, because next you have the iGen, or Generation Z. And um, I'm not going to point out who's, who's what, but you look at the birth dates there, and some people you might think of as, oh, they're millennial. Oh, actually, there's a starting of another generation. Interesting enough, this generation is more accepting of variety. Um, as in general, as you're looking at among different sexes, relation, the idea that there's not even boundaries on so much, they've grown up with it and they're far more expecting. This generation also has never known a, a world without the immediate access to the information. Millennials were the first ones that every home had a computer. iGen, it's like every person has a phone. You know, like it, it's another step further. These are some of the same ones then that you talk about that. They're typically more on Instagram rather than even Facebook when you're talking uh, social media. I only mention this for us, if we're going to say that I want to reach out to these other groups, do I understand them? Have I put any work into understanding them? And I'd say from a perspective of the gospel, we shouldn't fall into that's the same easy sense of just saying, well, they're different than I am and that's not it. Because the other part is, we mentioned that this society is more segmented than they. Oh, I forgot. There is also Generation Alpha. There's just not nearly as much known about them. We feel like there's significant, going to be significant differences, but I, I gen, because technology has changed so much more. However, you realize born in 2013, they haven't established their own identity in the same way, so it's harder to provide more specific information. But the next division, wealth. Or it's, it's significant. If you're trying to understand someone, it's someone who's always had versus someone who's always looking to get by, it, it's another divide. Politics. We could go on. Like you mentioned, like there's libertarians, there's Republicans, there's Democrats, there's other independents. Then within each of those groups, it feels like I can't agree with so and so because they are so diverse. But this is my question to you. If we're seeking to to do what Paul talked about. Do we, are we willing to put in some effort towards understanding those neighbors that are around us? Instead of just knowing that they're different than I am. I think this is very applicable to us um, because I feel like this is a need that's, honestly, I feel like it's almost getting bigger because the more in which we, Pastor Matt has talked about this time, we've, you've probably even faced it where people almost don't seem like they have the ability to debate and discuss anymore. It's my way or the highway. Well, if, if we can't agree, I'm going to unfriend you on Facebook. If we can't agree, I'm going to call you names. If we can't, you know, there's all kinds of levels of what that happens with. We are in no way, es you know, escaped from that temptation. No way. Interesting enough, you all, by this point, probably realize that I love history. And I could talk about it for a long time. But he, there is a very applicable 
um, lesson for us to learn in the UK. And it's in, in some ways, it's several generations happening before us. Um, I, I don't remember the specific date of some of the missionaries that were sent out from the UK. And when they left, the British culture was pervasively influenced by Christian culture. To be British was almost to be Christian. You could then use Christian terms and be understood. You could count on the fact that it was widely just going to be accepted. We mentioned that term of going door, door to door. You could go to someone's door and they probably went to Sunday school at some point and had some basis for even understanding what you're talking about. This is the starting point. Missionary goes away. 30 years comes back. Entirely different. The fact is, at that point, the, the, the culture had become far more skeptical and was not as trusting of, you just tell me this way. There had also developed the separation of more and more individuals who had not grown up going to church. So then there was not that possibility of just simply going up to them and expecting any baseline knowledge of the scripture. The problem and the struggle was the, Eng the English church, in, by the most part, did not adapt, did not reach out. If anything, more retreated. And you end up seeing this where that we, we won't change and we hold on to our traditions and we have high church, they call it as even terms. And increasingly then, the church became less and less relevant. Because as much as they weren't you know, influenced by the culture, influenced by that, they were also not, they were failing to do this, is what Paul was talking about, of attempt to be an insider, attempt for them to at, least, to at least understand the questions they are struggling with. If you, because even that simple change of a society in general becoming more skeptical, you don't, I'm not at all for a moment suggesting change in the gospel, but I am saying then you ought to at least understand, well, what is their question and try and give a genuine answer to a genuine question. That's what I'm saying. Whereas the temptation can be, and you see a historical example of that, of instead, I'm going to retreat. And we actually see it played out where that in so many ways, um, England is burned over. And now it is a place where missionaries go to try and outreach to them. Can you see that happening here? I think we can. I think we can see change in culture. And the reality is that is why I feel like this type of lesson that Paul is talking about is so applicable for us and why it actually we should seek after it. Um, Stephen Um says this. And I, I, I have just almost everything I've read for, from this gentleman I've really enjoyed. But I'll read this quote from, to you. It says, Are Christians cultivating this kind of agility, immersing themselves so deeply in their respective cities? They can see it from the inside. Do they feel the deepest hopes, aspirations of their neighbors? Do they know the questions they're asking and what troubles them about Christianity? And can they speak in ways people can actually understand? Or have Christians become so entrenched in their little Christian enclaves, to det so detached from the city and culture that they have no clue what its hopes are so they struggle to articulate truth without the cr crutch of Christian jargon. This, I feel like this is a real challenge we face. And, and it's not just an easy answer. But that's also why I feel like the second part that Paul's talking about is so important. And, and I use the words, and these are actually Stephen Um's words, and he says, the discipline to stay in. 
Because we, I, I feel certain if you're going to attempt to do this, your first reaction is, this is hard, it's far easier for me to just surround with people that look the same as me, talk the same as me, and are in the same income bracket. Um, but that's where he says, I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Or as I said, you can also interpret that as share, share with them in it. Like uh, this blessing, this relationship, what we have in Christ this is the goal that we have that opportunity to share that with them. And I feel like that helps. Because if my only perspective of a group that is different than my, I am is that they're messing things up for me, it's going to be really hard to be understanding. It's going to be really hard to seek after them. It's going to be really hard to love on them. But the reality is that other person who seems to have a perspective that just blows my mind that they could even think that way is a person, is a soul, is someone who needs to be loved, someone who needs to be sh shared with the truth of the gospel and understand that that gospel is significant and sufficient for my challenges and for their challenges. But he goes on, he says this, I do, I do not, do you not know that that in a race, all runner, runners run, but only one receives the prize. So run that you may obtain it. He, he's using an illustration here of games. It, and it's interesting. I, I said I love history. Interesting enough, Paul would have actually been in Corinth at a time when they were running some of the uh, Olympic games. I think it, the year was uh, 51, B, BC 51. Awesome little side impact uh, detail. Moving on, because I know not everyone's a history buff in the same way I am. But you see, but you can say for th those people, this would have been a very apt illustration for them. You have seen people run. And going next, you have seen people wrestle. And you know that they are going after them uh, with this purpose and focus and discipline. And he calls on to, in 25, every athlete exercises self-control in all things. I think that self-control for us would look like, well, sometimes... The simple fact of not saying what I'm immediately, my gut reaction thought is, but also that self-control would look like a spending time to understand. And that's why I thought it was worthwhile of me even spending a few minutes during a sermon talking about generations. And just some perspective that not every one of these is the same as me, and perhaps understanding what are the struggles that actually they would face. But also beyond that, he says, we are, uh, they, they do it, to receive a perishable wreath. It actually would have been made out of celery and would have you know, withered. But they trained for it. They worked after it. But we for an imperishable one. Because what we're talking about is trying to reach someone else with the gospel. Something that will change not just their life here and now, but all of eternity. We're talking about the opportunity to gain a brother or sister in Christ. I, I, it really helps me in, in trying to reach out to other people that have a different perspective than I am. Because I'm no different than you. I have thoughts. I have opinions. I have opinions that are stronger than I should ever have. And I bite my tongue, just like I'm sure you do on Facebook, on social media, and all those things, thinking if they just thought, they would think like I do. 
I really find it helpful, though, to take a different tact and look at the realization that these are people around me that, that in so many ways, they want the same things we want, even if they're not us. And, and I, I, as we're talking then and saying this takes discipline and this takes effort, I wonder if you would do a small exercise with me for a moment. We mentioned three different categories of we're separated by age, we're separated by wealth, and we're separated by politics. For a moment, and I'm not asking anyone, before I was saying answer, keep it to yourself, it's all right, just but within your own head. Think for a moment, what category do I fall into? What sort of age category do I fall into? What kind of wealth category do I feel like I fall into? And, what, and maybe politics, you know, where, where do I feel like I sit? This one, I'm guessing it's a fairly quick thought for you because these are, you know, identify as this. Okay. Second part of this exercise. Try and picture not everyone. Try and think of one individual that you know that doesn't fit into this category. The same category as you. Whether that's I, the only difference is they're from a different generation. The only difference could be that they're from a different income bracket than I am. The only difference could be that they see politics very differently than I do. Everyone have someone in mind? Okay. Do you feel like now you understand where they are coming from, or do you feel like you have homework to do if I want to understand where that person is coming from? And I, I'm hoping that you have an answer. Now take it and apply this, this principle. Because I feel like, as I was spending a little bit of time even digging in a little deeper on the generational side, I feel like I learned more. If anything, I, I, I'm a, personally, I'm a, I'm a little bit of a weird mix because I was born in 1981. Um, which means then I'm the very first year of what they traditionally think of as millennials. Ah. <laughs> My wife, I was born in 1982. Oh. Ah. Wow, man. <laughs> uh. <laughs> thank you, thank you for the catch. <laughs> if you couldn't tell, I could care less how old I am. <laughs> As much as I love history, I also never remember any of the dates in that either. <laughs> I absolutely love a good story. That's why I love history, not because of the dates. Oh, and I could talk so much more about that, but I won't. I'm coming back to this. All right, so talk about me. I was born in 1982. Very early millennial, if, if that's a consideration. But in so many ways, when I think about my ideology, when I read about millennials, I feel like I start mixing more into what they call the exennials and the fact that I, I actually see so much of this. And I grew up in the perspective of, yeah, every home had a computer, all these things. But yet so many of my priorities and perspectives actually match to some of the other previous generations. Struggle then comes for me is to not feel offended when someone's saying, well, this is what millennials do and millennials have ruined the entire world. But at the same time, I, I know there's enough other like, generations coming after me that I'm like, you think what? I, and, and looking more in depth, 
I feel like I hadn't understood some of the struggles that the Generation X had faced. You look at that, that idea, even simple, one, one aspect of it. I would like a job so I can have enough money to feed my family. That's a struggle that is real for Generation X's. And there's many of them who are still having to be stuck in a job much longer than they have ever hoped or wanted to. They're not going to work because they love it. They're going to work because they need to. Then a millennia comes along and says, I can't find any upward mo mobility. Maybe I can get a job, but all I can get is a minimum wage job. I'm 30 years old now, and I'm still working a minimum wage job. How in the world am I supposed to hope that generation, is hold generation X is holding on to my job? They're facing the exact same struggle. Then they look at it from another perspective, and Generation X is looking to the millennials and saying, you are changing everything about this world. You are, I can't even go to the store anymore because the store closed down because you don't go shop there. You can see how there's a real divide and it's a real struggle if you're, if you're seeking to understand that. And the millennials looking at I just, it was more convenient. It's what I chose to do. I'm not the only one. There's like millions of people choosing to do this. Why are you pointing at me as an individual and blaming me for all of society? That's why I find it also helpful and why I'm trying to take this example down to one person. I can talk for a long time about big picture things. I actually really enjoy it. But that doesn't impact us the same way as when we start to then put a face to it. And that's the reason for this exercise. Is I would like for you to walk away today with trying to put a face to that struggle. Because we're all caring, compassionate people. We really are. I, I feel like, like if you are a believer, that, that should be shaping and molding your interactions. And if you can put that face to it, and then if you can actually seek to understand that individual and where they're coming from, and seek to the fact of, I want to reach out to you with the gospel because I want you to have what I have. It makes this work of the discipline to stay in easier, more obtainable. And the last part is, and, we, and I told you I was coming here, a goal to keep us going was this from Stephen Um here. He says, the gospel foundationally is about a witness who came to us by becoming one of us. This is Jesus Christ. An insider who felt our deepest hopes and aspirations, who learned the questions we were asking and the things that troubled us. It's about a witness who immersed himself deeply in our fallen world, speaking and giving, living and loving in ways we could understand, sharing everything with us, but even more, giving his life away for us in our sin, becoming weak, Losing it all because he had a goal that kept him going. The goal was you. It was me. And, and so when Paul talks about this, he's not some, giving some far out crazy idea. He's sharing with us an idea that is absolutely central to the idea of the gospel. I really hope that I've given you something to think about this morning. Because I feel like it's easy for us to retreat into our church. I feel like it's easier to retreat to people that 
think and see the world the same way I do. I feel like it's easier to just clamp down and say nothing. There, there, there could be a whole list of obstacles that make it hard for you to reach out to someone else. And it could be this. It could be the simple fact of, I have to speak to someone else. Like I say, we can get into all kinds of what the obstacles are. I hope that I've given you something to think about. Because this is absolutely foundational, in my opinion, to the gospel. And if we get a hold of this, though, it also gives us the opportunity to radically change the way we interact with these other groups that are not me. Because if I, even if we just look around this group, thankfully we actually have a very diverse group as far as generations within this. The reality then is each one of us probably going to have somewhat different perspectives because of that, because of the, just the world around us was different as we grew up. As we look around this room, I, I would venture to guess that there's some, different, some differences, maybe not drastic differences, in the income level. I'd venture to guess that there could be differences in views on politics. Hopefully, though, the reality is we are centered around the gospel. We're centered around this message that makes so many of these other questions less significant, but also worthy, and it's worthwhile for me to spend a little bit of time trying to understand the questions and the hopes and the struggles that that other person is facing. Let's close in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that you sent your son to die on a cross and to give us this example. But also we thank you that we have this gospel that is able to absolutely transform us. God, we pray that it would. God, give us the strength to face this week as we go out and face other individuals who are likely going to have drastically different ideas than we do. Give us the grace to love them. Give us the grace to have a kind word for them. Give us the grace to actually seek after them and understand them and share with them your truth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.